Uh, Our sermon text for this morning, we're returning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, looking at a couple of verses, verses 34 through 36. I'll invite you to take your Bibles and turn your attention to that passage with me uh, as we read together. Now, this is God's uh, inerrant and infallible word, and we read it as an act of worship to Him. And when they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing on the preaching of His Word. Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the preaching of Your Word, we acknowledge that You are the great shepherd of the sheep. You are are our Savior, and it's Your words which we long to hear. Our hearts uh, are attuned to Your calling. Would You call us now? Would You teach us by Your Spirit? We ask in Your name. Amen. It would have been... uh, a little while back now, but when I began preaching through the Gospel of Mark, I, uh, Gospel of Matthew, I know where I am. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, I made a remark uh, that there's a relationship between the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the effectiveness of filling potholes in the city. And you might have scoffed at that, but I'm going to double down. Um, Because when the kingdom of Jesus Christ comes, remember that we think, first of all, the way that it comes in your own heart. In other words, what we mean is that he becomes your king. And and what happens when Christ becomes your savior and your king is it transforms the way that you live. Because all of a sudden, your great concern is honoring Christ in everything that you do. So if you imagine a moment for a governing official, no matter what level of government he's at, when he comes to Christ, what will be his concern? Honoring Christ in the way that he governs. He's going to look to the Word of God and he's going to remember, he's going to realize, Romans 13 tells me that I am God's servant. Even as a president or a senator or a representative, I am God's servant. And he's going to rule righteously. He's going to manage the funds of the city well. And he's going to make sure that the potholes are filled and they do a good job. They don't just make speed bumps out of them. There's a relationship between the gospel of Jesus Christ and the well-being of a city. And Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come, didn't he? He taught us to pray that. And And when we pray that, we're not just praying... I'm so fed up, Lord, with how our things are going. Would you please just come quickly? You know, relieve my agitation. The Westminster Larger Catechism reminds us that when, when you pray this, here's what you're praying. In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature, Under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed. That's what you're praying. God, destroy Satan's kingdom here on earth. 
Finish it. Finish the work. We pray that his kingdom would be destroyed, that the gospel propagated around the world. Destroy the kingdom of Satan and let your gospel go forward. Let it have success. The Jews called. The fullness of the Gentiles brought in. The church furnished with all gospel officers and ordinances. The church purged from corruption. Countenance and maintained by the civil magistrate that our governing officials would love the church and maintain the church. And the ordinances of Christ may be purely dispensed. We won't worship tradition. We'll worship the command. And made effectual to the converting of those that are yet in their sins. And the confirming, comforting, and building up of those that are already converted. That Christ would rule in our hearts. I hope that's your daily prayer. Lord, rule in my heart. I want you to be like Joshua in my heart. A central campaign and a northern campaign and a southern campaign. Drive out every idol. And hasten the time of his second coming. There we go. And our reigning with him forever. And that he would be pleased to exercise the kingdom of his power in all the world. As may best conduce to these ends. You see... What we're praying for, there's a whole gamut of stuff that is intended by your kingdom come. We want to see, we, listen, we want to see now the reign of Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel that the threshold of Satan's kingdom would be driven back, that magistrates would come to love Christ and begin looking to His law and implementing the righteous reign of God where? In all the world. And I think, what would it look like if that happened? Well, I believe that you get a picture of it when Jesus steps onto the shore in Gennesaret. I believe that you get a picture of the coming of the kingdom Christ when Jesus steps onto the shore at Gennesaret. And what we learn is that when Christ's kingdom comes, two things. It restores humanity and it rescues from the fall. It restores humanity, and it rescues from the fall. Now remember, just to remind you where we're at, uh, Jesus, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., had, had walked on the water. He, he caught up to the disciples who were rowing against the strong winds that uh, they saw Him in fear. Um, and he got into the boat with them, he calmed the sea, and they continued rowing until they came, not, not north to Capernaum, but if, if you come, uh, I'm going to reverse this for you, if, if you come south and just west along the Sea of Galilee, you would come to a town or a land a region called Gennesaret. Gennesaret. Now, Gennesaret, you, you may remember this. This is where Jesus commanded Peter to let his nets down, and he brought up that great haul of fish. There's another illustration of the kingdom of Christ. You catch all the fish that you want when you fish. Uh, but in the Old Testament, you'll find it by the name of Kinneret or Kinnerot. This is an ancient place, an ancient land. 
Um, it was densely populated at the time that Jesus was doing his ministry. And so we ought to expect that this is probably still sometime early in the morning. If, if he walked on the water between 3 and 6 a.m., it's probably very early in the morning when they came up to the shore and moored their boat there at Gennesaret. And Matthew records what happened there to show us two things. That Christ's kingdom restores humanity and Christ's kingdom rescues from the fall. Look with me at verse 35. And when the men of that place recognized Him, they sent around to all that region and brought to Him all who were sick. I think Matthew is a little bit subdued here in the way that he reports what's happening. But, but notice what does happen. Jesus and the disciples, they finish their journey. They've come to the shore of Gennesaret. And Mark records that they moored the boat. So they tied it off, however they would have done. And Jesus and the disciples begin to walk up the shore into Gennesaret. And men begin to recognize him. And as soon as they begin to recognize him, what do they do? Well, they send throughout all that region, literally disciples as it were. They're saying, go get Fred. Go get Genevieve. Bring them back. Christ just arrived here. And what, what we see is that, how do we see a restoration of humanity in the arrival of Christ? Well, well, humanity is restored in the concern that they show for others. You know what Mark records? That when Jesus and the disciples arrived there, they, they were doing two things. They were sending people to get people and bring them back. Mark records in Mark chapter 6 that they were running throughout all that region to get people. You can imagine just for a moment the frenetic activity that happens. Men, one after the other, begin to recognize Jesus and they say, go get Susie, bring her back. Go get John. In fact, I'll go get him. I run faster than you. There's this frenetic activity. Men sprang into action so that they could go and get their friends and family, their loved ones, even the uncles that they don't really care for, and they bring them back. And you see what happens. When Jesus arrives, men's hearts immediately think about others and how they can benefit others by bringing them to Christ. Humanity is restored. Even though in that moment they may have been getting their nets ready, so that they could make a profit for the day. When Christ arrived, they forgot about making a profit and they began thinking about serving. There was a sense of urgency. They don't want Jesus to pass through town before their friends benefit from Him. They're, they know that there's a space of time when he may be in Gennesaret and out of Gennesaret. They may go back onto the water. They, there's urgency. Recognizing Jesus then, when they recognized Jesus, their hearts turned to their neighbors. Humanity was restored 
in their concern for others. Their humanity was also restored in their service to others. Go back to verse 35. They, we read there, they sent word to, around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. There's physical lifting involved here. So you remember the four friends who had the paralytic man and they, they brought him on his bed and lowered him down through the ceiling so that he could see Christ and be healed by him. That, that's what's happening here. They're going throughout the town. They know the, they know the sick and they're physically picking them up. They say, oh, you, can't, you can't make it? I will take you. I will take you there. And they lift these people up, recognizing Jesus, they brought others to Him for help. They went and got those who could not come themselves. And what we see here in this this amazing moment is that Christ's kingdom comes when men recognize Christ, listen, both in His person, who He is, he is God and man, and in His power. And when they reckon, you know that you've recognized Christ for who He is because lives are changed. Do you see what's happening here? Lives are changed. Families are changed. Communities are changed. Suddenly, suddenly, hearts have begin, have, have been, that were turned inward are turned outward. Who else needs to know? Have we reached everybody? Did you tell, did you tell this person? Did you, where's, where's that guy? Go get him. Bring him to Christ. What a glorious picture of the effect of the coming of Christ's kingdom. Men are filled with concern for others. Men want to serve others and promote their good. Can you imagine a Washington, D.C. that sees itself as a servant that wants to do the country good? This is what it looks like. Men promote the good of their neighbor. They go and get others and bring them to Christ. And this is how you can tell that the kingdom of Christ has come in your heart. You have a burden to serve others. You have a burden to bring others to Christ. This is what it looks like. This this is the transforming power of the coming of the kingdom of Christ. He makes selfish men who remember by nature are, are under the dominion of sin and Satan. And we could add a third S, self, We had a a youth pastor who used to talk about me monsters and how we could be me monsters. You think about the cookie monster who's just grabbing all the cookies up. You're a me monster because you're trying to hoard all of the resources for yourself. But when the kingdom of Christ comes in my heart, what happens is I become concerned with the welfare of other men and I want to serve them. And that's my joy. It becomes a delight to serve them. And not only to serve them by bringing them a warm meal or a warm jacket, but ultimately by bringing them to Christ. I want to 
bring you to Jesus. I want to introduce you to Him. Why? Because He will do you the ultimate good. Are you a patriot? Listen to what Matthew Henry said about this passage. We can no better testify our love to our country than by promoting and propagating the knowledge of Christ in it. You get that? We can no better testify our love to our country than by promoting and propagating the knowledge of Christ in it. This is what transforms communities. This is how potholes get filled efficiently. He went on. Neighborhood, neighborhood, being a good neighbor and living as a neighbor is an advantage of doing good which must be improved. Those that are near to us, we should contrive to do something for, at least by our example, to bring them near to Christ. When Jesus steps onto the shore of your heart, you can tell because you begin to think about what you can do for your neighbor. That's the impulse. Christ restores humanity. Listen, if you want a glimpse of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like, this is what they'll be like. Men who love serving one another. Secondly, though, Christ's kingdom rescues from sin. Look with me at verse 36. They brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Christ rescues from the fall, from sin, and he does that through tender compassion and by release from the curse. I, want you to, I really want you to think about what this must have looked like. Jesus walking up on the shore and and all of a sudden, the, the ruckus about the business of the day and do you have nets and I need to buy fish, I'm at a dinner party tonight. All of a sudden, that changes and men say, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. And they're, they're yelling at one another, go get this guy, go get this guy, I'll get him myself. And, and then what's happening is, you can imagine, they're bringing the sick and they're laying them in the marketplaces. Can you, you imagine that there are all these beds that are just laid and it's like a path through all the sick and the illness. It, like a, uh, you, know, you can literally see that this is the wilderness, actually. All this sick, all this evidence of the curse. And there's a path through which Jesus would walk. And as he's walking out, they're not only saying, go get this guy, but they're begging him. Literally, the word there in the Greek, it means they're, they're exhorting and exhorting. Let me touch the fringe of your garment. Let me touch the fringe of your garment. I need to be healed. I need to be healed. Can you hear the noise of that moment? And notice what they're asking him. They're, they're laying these people at his feet and they're saying, we, we only want to touch the fringe of your garment. Why might they say that? 
Well, possibly because there's a little superstition that has seeped in and through the community. You remember the woman with the flow of blood, and she had been afflicted with that illness for 10 years. And so she caught up to Jesus, and in that moment, she reached out, and she caught hold of the fringe of his garment. She said, I don't even want to bother him. I don't want him to know I'm here. So she touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the flow of blood ceased. And Jesus turned around and he said, who touched me? In all that crowd, he said, who touched me? And he looked at her. You remember what he said? Your faith has made you well. Well, you can imagine this woman, we'll call her Sarah, went home that afternoon and told her family. I'm, I'm better. And all of the friends who had been praying with her in her little Bible study and prayer group, all those friends, she went back and she said, Jesus healed me. And they said, what happened? I touched the fringe of his garment and immediately I was healed. And they got on Facebook and they said, Sarah was healed by touching the fringe of Jesus' garment. And the word begins to pass through the community. You, you know how this happens. And all of a sudden, they come back and they said, all we need to do is touch the fringe of his garment. That's, that's how Sarah was healed. We heard it from her prayer group. They told us themselves, read it on Facebook. And all of a sudden, there's a little superstition that has popped up. We need to touch the fringe of his garment. Now, are they coming by faith? Sure, there's faith there. And what you need to see is that Jesus doesn't look at him and say, whoever told you to touch the fringe of my garment? Your tender Lord doesn't chastise them even though they're acting in ignorance. But He, he does heal them. And this is why we would say that, that what's happening here is that He's rescuing these people with a tender compassion. They're coming. They don't know fully. They don't know exactly what they're doing, but they're coming. They know that this man is able to heal them. They've heard it from all over at this point. They're acting on the information that they have. And Jesus doesn't say, well, you, you should really know that uh, the doctrine of election says that only the elect... Right? He just... He, he reaches down to them. And look, in the weakness of their faith, He heals them. He responds. There's the compassion of Christ. The same compassion that, healed, that fed the 5,000 at the end of a day reaches down and heals them. Rather than chastise their weakness, He responded to their petition. So He rescues through tender compassion and he rescues through release from the curse. Notice how it ends. And as many as touched it were made well. Does, is there magic in the fringe of Jesus' garment? Should we look for that fringe of his garment? Maybe they have it somewhere in Rome. They probably do behind a, a frame. And if you touch the fringe of Jesus' garment, you're, you'll be healed. That, that's not the point. It's the compassion of Christ that they accessed even in their meager faith that brought what ultimately a rescue through release from the curse. Did you, did you know? So um, if you're reading through here, one of the interesting things about the word illness in the Greek is it's just the word evil. They're... They brought to him people who were suffering with all kinds of evil. Now, um, why would it be called evil? 
Well, because Matthew, he's reporting this to you theologically correctly. Every one of these people who's laying on a mat and who's laid in Jesus' path, who's trying to reach out and grab the fringe of his garment, ultimately, he's suffering under the effects of the fall. Sickness in the world is not just a random genetic mutation. It is an infliction of the curse of God. And that's why we can say, I'm sorry for those of you who may be sick right now, that every sickness is a deserved sickness. In fact, what we learn to say, even in the midst of our sickness, is actually, I deserve a whole lot worse than this. And I don't care how bad your sickness is. Every sickness, every weakness of the body is a visible and physical reminder of the effects of Adam's sin and fall. But what do we see? What happens when we come to Jesus and experience his compassion? Well, what does it say? As many as touched it were made well. The word here is actually saved. Rescued. That's why we're using that word. He rescued every single person who touched the fringe of his garment. Meager as their faith was, they came to Christ. They were brought to Christ. He touched them. And Jesus did for those people what their ministering neighbors asked him to do. Jesus demonstrated his compassion and his power by rolling back the effects of the curse. He saved them. But you know what? His power is far greater than healing sickness. He also heals souls. John Calvin says, in healing bodies, he shadowed out something greater, namely that he restores our souls to health and that it is his peculiar office to remove spiritual diseases. He's not now an inhabitant of the earth. Think back to our last passage. Where is he? We can't see him. He's not now an inhabitant of the earth, but it is certain that now that he is in heaven, he is authorized to bestow those favors of which he then exhibited a visible proof. In other words, he now is the savior of souls. That's his business. That's what he's doing. Rescuing men from the effects of the curse, not by rolling back measles or a cold or even cancer, but by redeeming your soul from the grave through faith. Now, Calvin goes on, as we labor under every kind of disease till he heals us, let us each not only present himself to him, but endeavor to bring others to him for remedy. And some, you know, you'll read this passage and you think, well, what am, what am I doing for others? I want to start you know, a food bank or a clothes closet. And those are good things, but the true application of this passage is not feel, found, think, in a meal or a jacket. 
Those may be instruments of the application, but they're not the end. The end is what? A neighbor that is concerned for the soul of his neighbor. The end of the application or the goal is that people come to Christ and are rescued, rescued from sin and death. When this happens, when we bring people to Christ in this way, do you know what happens? Communities change. Families are healed. Fathers return. Mothers return. Men, women, and children find new purpose in the plan of God. Rather than living as rebels, we live as citizens of the kingdom. Now, I want you to think just just for a second. You know, every boat that passes through leaves a wake. Let's fast forward to the next day. Jesus has passed through Gennesaret. This whole hubbub has come and gone. What does the next day look like? You think about it? Has the community changed, do you think? Oh, I think so. What about the family of the mute man? The one who couldn't speak? That night, suddenly he was able to join with his family's family as they sang God's praise for the first time. What about the family of the lame man? The next day he was able to go to work and support his family. This is the broader effect of Christ's kingdom. It doesn't just get people out of hell. It restores humanity. Do you see that? In a little way, do you see that in a little way, as Jesus passed through that horde of people, all of a sudden, the curse, the effects of the curse were rolled back and a taste of Eden rolled in. When Christ's kingdom comes... It restores humanity and rescues from the effects of the fall. Jesus' arrival at Gennesaret demonstrates how a community is affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, in South Carolina, there is a, in, in our city, there is a pretty significant megachurch. And they, they talked about, they bragged, about how they had baptized 10,000 people. Now, just think with me for a second. If we, if we baptized 10,000 people in Macomb and they were truly saved, do you think it would make a difference? Oh, man. Huge. You wouldn't recognize the town anymore. Because humanity is restored and the effects of the fall are rolled back. When we pray for Christ's kingdom to come, think we're not just praying that people will get saved. We're praying for the total transformation of our culture. We're praying for righteous governors. We see that in the men of Gennesaret. Humanity, humanity was restored and that there was a deep concern for the well-being of others. 
They stopped what they were doing and they delighted in service. The suffering of sin was rolled back when Jesus rescued the oppressed from the effects of sin. Jesus' power to restore humanity and rescue from sin, listen, has not been diminished by His ascent into heaven. What He did in Gennesaret has been magnified by His ascent. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we praise You that your kingdom rolls back drought and brings in bounty. You have shown us the effect that your kingdom has just in this little vignette in Matthew's gospel. This little, what we might call a throwaway passage. Just a transition passage so that we can follow the history, but it isn't. And Lord, we pray for ourselves Would you restore our humanity? Make us truly human in the image of God as men who are good neighbors, who seek to serve others, to promote the well-being of others, who love others powerfully and well, who speak the truth and bring others to Christ. This is your calling to us. And I pray for my my friends here this morning, if there are any who have not come to you yet with with the merest of faith imparted by you, Lord, would you save them? And we pray, Lord, cause your kingdom to come and let it begin with me. We ask this in your name. Amen.